Okay, well, I think we'll go ahead and get started. Uh, if you didn't notice in the uh, little book, the description of this course is totally erroneous. So if you're here for that description, this is not, uh, I think it was a public health something or other. Uh, we're here to talk about uh, working, uh, treating emergencies in uh, limited resource uh, situations. Uh, how many of you are students here? And how many dentists? And how many nurses? And how many missionaries? Okay. So I'll try and uh, – It's this is really geared for people that are going to go overseas, either short-term or long-term. And it's it's basically uh, going to be very heavy on basic uh, treatment of toothaches because uh, that's – mainly what you'll run into is emergency situations. So uh, we'll do a, lot of, a little bit of basic uh, introductory stuff, and then uh, we'll go from there. Uh, I'm a, an oral and maxillofacial surgeon. I work in southeastern Minnesota in a group practice. We have five offices. Uh, my email's there if there's any the resources that you don't get down from these. I don't know. Do they distribute PDFs or anything of these talks? No. Okay. So... Uh, when I have, there's a couple of uh, websites that are, are very beneficial, uh, but you can always find them on Google, too. Uh, originally, when I picked this topic, I looked at the material, and I had enough for about five hours of lecture, so I tried to pare it down as best I could. I don't want to try and cram everything in. We're really supposed to talk for maybe 20, 25 minutes and then allow uh, 10, 15 minutes for discussion at the end. So, uh, We'll kind of move along fast, though. My own uh, history of missions, I'm the little bald-headed guy. I haven't changed in 57 years. Uh, <laughs> I was born in Cameron, West Africa. My parents were missionaries there. Uh, and uh, so I got an early introduction to missions. Uh, came back to the United States, got educated. Uh, and in 1986, I went on my first short-term uh, dental mission. I graduated from dental school. And I spent a month working in a, a Khmer Rouge refugee camp on the Thai-Cambodian border. Uh, it was a real eye-opener. It was a beautiful clinic. Uh, an American dentist had set it up. And uh, these gentlemen were all my uh, students. I spent a month teaching them how to do basic dentistry. Um, but one problem I had is I had several patients that had oral cancer. We had some very serious infections. And I thought, if I'm going to do short-term or long-term mission dentistry, I really needed more education. So I went to uh, oral surgery training. Uh, four years later, I was an oral and maxillofacial surgeon. Uh, and a lot of uh, medical people don't know what oral surgeons do. Uh, basically, we, we specialize in surgery of the mouth, face, and jaws. Uh, we do four to seven years of hospital-based training uh, after dental school with medical and anesthesia emphasis. So it's 12 years after high school to get your oral surgery degree. So by then you're ready to retire, right? <laughs> uh, and, you know, primarily we do tooth extractions. That's the bread and butter of our practices. But we also treat facial trauma, oral pathology, TMJ, uh, pre-prosthetic surgery, including dental implants, and uh, orthognathic surgery, which is uh, major jaw surgeries to correct malalignments of the jaws. And we also do a, have a very heavy emphasis on anesthesia, so we're able to do our own outpatient anesthetic <coughs> as well. Um, so I got all my training uh, and got ready to go on my first short-term trip in uh, 1994 to Kenya. And what did I do for two weeks? Extracted teeth. So I didn't see anything interesting. I didn't have any pathology, but it was still a great trip, uh, and uh, the Lord blessed it. Um, 
The basic outline of this talk is from Where There Is No Dentist, Chapter 7, and this is a very good resource. Uh, you can download this book online as a PDF file, or you can buy it on Amazon. Um, there are some things in there I don't quite agree with, but for the most part, it's very reliable. It's very uh, well-written. It's, it's very uh, practical. It tells you how to sterilize instruments in a limited resource environment. It tells you how to do differential diagnosis, the, the various things that you'll run into in those situations. And uh, so the, uh, the PDF is there, or you could just do a web search uh, with Google. At, uh, but I'll leave it. Everybody got a chance to copy that down that wants it? Okay. A um, couple things in the book that I, I really like. They said know your limits. Do only what you know what to do. Uh, you know, primum non nocere, first of all, do no harm. So if what you're planning on doing is going to make the patient worse, then you def definitely don't want to do that. Uh, make diagnosis before rendering treatment. Uh, if you have a misdiagnosis, you're going to give the wrong treatment. And this was an interesting quote, and it's, it's probably very true. I mean, dentist training usually includes complicated oral surgery, root canal work, orthodontics, and other complex skills, yet most dentists rarely do more than pull, drill, and fill teeth, skills that require a fraction of the training they have received. And uh, I think the dentists here would all agree with that. Uh, a lot of it we could do with our eyes closed while we're asleep. But uh, the reason I'm going to give an emphasis to uh, toothaches is that more than 80% of dental emergency room visits result from the pain of tooth decay. Uh, there was one study, I, I have the reference in my bag, uh, at a pediatric hospital, and 95% uh, of the patients were seen for tooth-related problems in the emergency department there. So uh, the other thing is uh, the book does has pictures and it has a lot of good information, but if you really think that this is something you want to do, at least on a limited basis, treating uh, patients, uh, I would recommend that you shadow a dentist. Uh, I've had people come to my office for a week that are going on short-term mission trips, and they We'll show them how to pull teeth, how to do basic uh, injections, those types of things. So that, that's a really, really good idea. It makes you feel comfortable with what you're doing. You'll run into most of the things that you're going to run into in those situations as well. Or another good thing to do is to go along on a dental mission. Uh, two weeks, you'll, you'll get a lot of experience very quickly. Or volunteer to assist at a volunteer dental clinic. Uh, I work. We have the only Salvation Army dental clinic in the United States in Rochester. And I, I work there uh, on a volunteer basis, and we have people coming through all the time that want to learn how to do things. So those are some options. Uh, we'll go through Dentistry 101 very quickly. Most of this stuff everybody really knows. Uh, the tooth is the hardest part of the body. It's composed primarily of the mineral hydroxyapatite. Uh, there's a hard outer surface called the enamel, and then the softer core with the, is called the denim, and that's uh, highly innervated. Uh, so enamel here, dentin here, and then the inside, uh, the blood vessels, the cells that maintain the teeth, and the nerves in the teeth. Uh, primary teeth, there are 20 primary teeth. Uh, you lose them starting about age six. Uh, and then permanent teeth to go through about a four to five year period of mixed dentition. And then the permanent teeth come in. And that's only important what we're going to talk about is we treat primary teeth a little differently in that we be a little more apt to extract them if, uh, even for minor caries in these situations uh, if we're on a short-term trip or long-term. Uh, the etiology of dental disease is plaque. Uh, it's a biofilm composed of bacterial colonies and their secretions that adhere to teeth. Uh, 
Bacteria convert carbohydrates in your diet to acid, which is then uh, excreted as waste products, and this demineralizes tooth enamel. When sufficient demineralization occurs, the bacteria invade the teeth, causing dental caries. So this is just uh, a tooth. Usually they'll form in the pits and fissures or between teeth. And uh, it's hard to see interproximal caries, we call these, but... Uh, I got a good close-up slide here. You can see <laughs> the bacteria busily eating sugar and, and getting ready to cause havoc. So uh, clinically, what you'll see are dark spots on the teeth. Uh, this may be just a lost filling here. Uh, if you have frank caries, it'll have more of this reddish tinge. Uh, but it, it's pretty easy to tell the uh, caries when you look at a tooth. Uh, you want to have a mirror. Uh, you know, we, have, we dentists use these little pokey things called explorers. You probably don't even need to do that. Uh, those are a little more helpful to kind of characterize how deep the decay is. But it's, if you have a mirror and a good light, you'll probably be able to pick up 98% of the cavities that are vi clinically visible without x-rays. Uh, you need x-rays really to, to diagnose in between the teeth. Uh, tooth decay or early caries, uh, if you, clinical signs and symptoms. Uh, people will have pain when drinking water or eating sweets, hot or cold water. Uh, there's a paradox, though. You'll see people come into your office that have a bottle of cold water, and they'll keep that on their tooth, and that's the only thing that stops pain once the, the nerve is starting to die. Uh, you'll see a visible hole or black spot on or between the teeth. If you tap on the tooth, uh, and this is important for differentiating decay from uh, more advanced uh, pulpal pain, uh, you won't have pain on percussion. So the diagnosis would be dental caries with mild pulpitis. And this is what most dentists treat routinely every day in their practice. Uh, with uh, in limited resource situations, what you want to do is if you have somebody that has a sensitive tooth, clean out the cavity. There will be debris in there. Uh, and then place some type of temporary filling. You can use dental cement, wax, or other temporary filling materials. Uh, I've seen people use everything from matchsticks to uh, jujubes to kind of fill that hole so that uh, the air doesn't get in there. So uh, if you don't have any other available material, you can take cotton, uh, moisten it, and pack that in there. Uh, dentists would use, uh, we don't usually do temporary fillings. What we would do is restore the tooth when the patient came in. But in a limited resource situation where you have uh, you know, no access to uh, dental equipment and restorative materials, uh, you can still place an immediate restorative material uh, IRM is, is the most common one. It was developed during the Vietnam War for the military to use in combat situations. Uh, it's a reinforced zinc oxide eugenol composition, uh, which is very palliative to the tooth. It'll actually arrest the decay and it'll calm the nerve down. And it's fairly uh, strong. It'll last for up to a year. So uh, this is just what it looks like. It's a powder, and you mix the powder with the liquid, which is the eugenol. Uh, it has kind of a doughy consistency. You pack it in. Uh, you can, if you had to have one instrument to do this type of procedure, a double-ended curette would be ideal because you can polish with that and you can also uh, mix with that. Uh, and then you want to smooth it down afterwards. Uh, this probably isn't the recommended instrument, but it's one way of doing it. Uh, online, you'll run into uh, dental emergency kits, and some people ask, well, are these worthwhile? Some of them are better than others. Uh, this is one that I was looking at the other day. Uh, and it's, you can get it for 4 to $20 online. It has a temporary filling material. It has a tooth and crown saver. 
And then it has basically eugenol toothache medication that you can drip on gauze and pack in there. Uh, the ingredients, uh, eugenol is probably the, the primary one. Uh, all these other things are just fillers to, to give it consistency that, so that you can pack it in the tooth. Uh, caution is you want to, to avoid infection and serious injury. They shouldn't be used where there's throbbing pain, ulceration, or swelling. Uh, it's just for palliative care until a more permanent type of solution can be found. This kit uh, is probably a waste of money. If you looked what's in the kit, it's $35. You know, you can buy all of these things individually and put this kit together for eight or ten dollars. So, but there, are, these are all things that are useful: uh, dental examining mirror, gloves, tweezers, uh, explorer, spatula, wax, floss, filling material, crown and bridge cement, and ointment for cold sores. Uh, anyway, then it has salt sticks. I don't know what that's in there for, but it looked interesting. Uh, and then cotton balls and toothbrush with toothpaste toothache drops. So you're buying about, there's only really two or three things you need in there, the temporary filling material and the cotton, and uh, the rest is all just filler. So anyway, uh, temporary fillings are, need to be replaced by permanent uh, fillings, either by somebody that has uh, the proper dental equipment and training, or, uh, and this is uh, something that I took a course in Thailand on, and it's uh, something that's very beneficial. And if you're running a healthcare center overseas, something that you might consider training at least one or two of your workers in, and it's called atraumatic restorative treatment, or ART. The other definitive treatment, other than fillings, would be tooth extraction. Uh, that cold steel and sunshine solves all problems, we say. <laughs> My other favorite is that a slick mouth is a healthy mouth. But <laughs> anyway, uh, so you can either do traditional dentistry or uh, you can do atraumatic restorative therapy. Uh, the big advantage of atraumatic restorative therapy is the limited amount of materials you have. These are all the instruments that you need. This is uh, glass ionomer cement. Uh, and uh, basically what it involves is if you have a carious lesion, you go in and remove all the soft, decayed material. Uh, you under take away any of the enamel that may be uh, subject to breaking off, and then you place your restoration after uh, preparing the, uh, the cavity. Uh, and this is what an art filling looks like. Uh, glass ionomer is a very strong material. Another big advantage it has is that it contains fluoride, so it, uh, it's bactericidal or bacteriostatic, uh, and it stimulates repair, reparation inside the tooth. Uh, this is just an electron micrograph of the interface between the glass ionomer and the enamel. It's a very strong bond. Uh, yeah, this is as permanent as an amalgam restoration if it's done correctly. You don't need a drill. You use all hand instruments. Uh, yes? Yeah, you, you want to, when it's still soft, you want to make sure you carve it down. Uh, otherwise, you'll need some type of uh, hand piece to smooth it off. And if, uh, when we did our course, we, we just did it on uh, extracted teeth, so that wasn't a problem. But that's very important. Even with any of the temporary filling materials, you want to make sure... While it's still soft, you have the patient bite down and, and move their teeth with their teeth touching in all directions so that it's not high because if you leave the restoration high, the tooth is going to take more of the biting force and then it will cause uh, uh, the tooth to be very painful after a while. It also can affect the jaw joints because the muscles are going to try and avoid hitting that high spot. Other question? Okay. Uh, it's very cost-effective. The cost of a, an eight 
traumatic restorative filling is 55 cents versus $1.12 for an amalgam filling. Uh, that's including the gloves and the cotton rolls and the mask. <laughs> uh, but the equipment cost is, is where the, the big difference is. Uh, Steve Brown, who's here, we went, went to Canada together once many years ago, and he brought a compressor and he brought all of the equipment along to do restorative work. And, you know, it adds up. I mean, the total cost, if you properly equip a dental clinic, is, is around $10,000. We're, we're equipping a, a clinic in Guinea, West Africa right now, and we're already up to about $15,000. Uh, whereas the hand instruments, $237.00. The materials weigh five kilograms versus, you know, 200 pounds for all the other materials. And most, most importantly, though, it's clinically proven to be effective. Uh, there's been a number of studies. I'll just cite a couple. There's a three-year study comparing art with amalgam. Uh, the survival rate was actually higher than that of the amalgam fillings. Uh, Multi-surface restorations, uh, it was still uh, very high. That's probably the biggest limitation is uh, for interproximal or class two fillings. The fillings between the tooth or if there's a lot of tooth structure missing, uh, it's not going to be a, a real good solution because you really need to crown those teeth or, or do some type of a very strong buildup like amalgam. And again, you can just see the comparisons over a period of six years. Uh, you know, the survival rate was between 70 and 80 percent. So very good. Causes for failure. Uh, Insufficient removal of caries. Uh, with hand instruments, uh, power instruments, you can, you, know, you can go all the way to the pulp very easily. With hand instruments, what you, you, you tend to get a feel for it. You can tell when you're removing decayed, it'll be softer. And then once you get to uh, regular dent, it'll have a more firm character to it. But if you leave a lot of decay, I mean, you're, you're putting a, a filling over it, and it may progress if there's a, a you know, I don't know what the... Uh, number of bacteria you have to leave behind. But studies show even if you just remove most of the decay and study it, the, the bacteria that are left behind usually will, will die because of lack of oxygen and so forth. Uh, if the glass ionomer cement isn't properly mixed, it can be a problem. Uh, if it's very humid uh, and temperature during mixing, it, uh, you can get an improper mix. Uh, you have to condense this material. If you leave bubbles in it, it weakens it and it'll fracture. Or it'll be less permanent. And if it's contaminated while you're doing your uh, restoration, uh, that'll also cause failures. Uh, you have to condition the tooth. Uh, use, a, use a conditioning agent so that the, uh, it bonds to the dentin and the enamel. And then if the patient's not cooperative, obviously that doesn't work very well. And then skill of the operator. It's, it's got a learning curve. Uh, you know, we did several of them. The first one I did looked horrible. By the time I got to the third one, it was fairly decent. But, you know, I probably would want to do a few more before we actually did it on a, a person out in the field. And then this is just a cross-section showing uh, uh, filling in place. Uh, you can get uh, an a whole entire PDF of a manual on how to place these fillings, uh, and uh, it's got a good bibliography. And uh, So this is the reference. Dentaid.org is the uh, uh, website, so that, that's a real good resource. Okay, we're going to move on to toothaches. Uh, Everybody has their own way of dealing with toothaches, but uh, Can you that real quick? sure. Uh, as I was saying earlier, toothaches are about 80% of uh, emergency room visits, and uh, it's, you know I've never had kidney stones, and I've never had a baby, but I've, patients tell me that's 
if they've had either of those, that's what they compare it to. So it, it can be excruciating. It can be, you know, just uh, mild, and it runs the gamut between. And what I want to do in the next few minutes is just kind of help you. Did you, everybody get that? Sorry. Okay. Anyway, uh, back in the Middle Ages, uh, toothache was thought to be caused by a toothworm, and then the pain was caused by little demons pounding on the inside of the tooth. But uh, now we know better. Uh, the carious lesions, the fillings, if you didn't get your filling in time, the bacteria invade through the enamel. The dentin is much softer, so the uh, decay can advance much more quickly. Once the decay gets close enough to the pulp or bacteria invade the pulpal tissue, then you get inflammation, and it's a confined space. Uh, you know, you hit your finger, the finger swells up. It's not going to be excruciatingly painful, but if you put that finger in a steel tube after you bang it and then it swells up, it's going to be much worse. And that is probably part of the reason that toothaches are so uh, intolerable for most patients. Uh, diagnosis, reversible or irreversible pulpitis is, uh, well, we, it's hard to sometimes separate it. It's a continuum. You go from caries to reversible pulpitis to reversible, irreversible pulpitis to uh, necrosis of the pulp. But uh, the treatments, once you have your Pain control is obviously going to be the main thing that you're going to be able to do for somebody. Uh, infection control, uh, really, pulpitis is not an infection per se. Uh, there's a bacterial invasion of the tooth pulp, but uh, it's not spreading. Uh, and then you need to do definitive treatment. The signs of reversible and irreversible pulpitis is the presence of a decayed or fractured tooth, uh, prolonged or constant pain to stimulus, especially hot and cold. Uh, if you if it's sensitive just for a few seconds, that's normal. If five minutes later, the patient's still holding their jaw, that means that the tooth is probably has irreversible pulpitis and uh, either needs to have a root canal or be extracted. Spontaneous pain is also a sign of more advanced uh, pulpitis. And if you percuss the tooth and, and it's painful, that's also a sign. What do we use for pain control? Probably this is intuitive. Uh, Non-steroidals are the first line, aspirin and ibuprofen. Uh, whatever your favorite. Uh, if that's not working, then we usually will add a centrally acting opioid, hydrocodone or codeine. Uh, in severe cases, even intramuscular morphine. Uh, we used to do a lot of that at the hospital that I trained at uh, in the inner city. Uh, topical agents are good initially. Once the pulpitis has gotten pretty deep, uh, they're not as useful, but benzocaine or eugenol compounds and last but not least, local anesthetics. Uh, if none of those above three work, then you can try not to numb things up. And then question is, are antibiotics pain control? Because I always have patients, oh, yeah, you put me on antibiotics and the pain is gone. Uh, you can use antibiotics, and it will uh, stop the course of the infection from uh, spreading periapically. Uh, in our environment, that's probably not a good idea. It's just because it's... Uh, you know, you can treat it more definitively, but in a limited resource situation, it is a good idea to put them on antibiotics because you're going to arrest the progression of the pulpitis so that it doesn't proceed to an infection, and then you can get them to somebody that can actually take care of the problem. Uh, topical benzocaine, the most popular toothache medication in the U.S. Uh, there's, you know, a number of formulations. Origel is probably, an Ambisol are probably the two that you'd see at most drugstores. Uh, they're inexpensive. The only concern with using them long-term is that they uh, bind uh, irreversibly with hemoglobin, and you can create methemo 
Lithemoglobinemia, that's a mouthful. Uh, so you, if you have a patient that comes in and they're turning blue, it means they've probably have been dabbing Orogel on for a couple of weeks and they've gone to, through two or three bottles. Uh, and then local anesthetic, uh, you actually need a little training in doing this, but most toothaches, if you even just infiltrate in the buccal vestibule or in the, by the tooth, you'll, you'll be able to achieve some type of anesthetic. For more uh, sophisticated block an anesthesia, it's good to have a little training there. Uh, it's unpredictable in cases where the pulpitis has gone to the end of the tooth. Uh, we all talk about hot teeth. Uh, you get a patient in your practice that no matter what you do, you, you can pump 10 uh, carpules of anesthetic and then they're still uncomfortable. Uh, they still won't let you know, go near the tooth. Uh, so that's why oral surgeons put them to sleep. But uh, if you don't have that option, uh, you can do what we call a PDL injection where you inject alongside the tooth or you can actually drill into the tooth and do an intrapulpal injection. Those would be the, the ways to achieve anesthetic. Neither of the last two are very comfortable for the patient, but it does give them relief eventually. Uh, Marcaine and articaine seem to work better in infected situations because it's a uh, more has to do with the pH. Articaine probably works better because it's a higher concentration. Uh, and then block anesthesia, you get a little longer relief. Uh, we, we do a lot of marcaine blocks where you because marcaine will last up to 12 hours on the lower jaw, only about two to three on the upper jaw. Uh, once that uh, infection has progressed uh, and pulp has become necrotic, uh, the bacteria love necrotic tissue. They set up a colony, and then you get a periapical abscess. And this is where you get the really acute pain. Uh, the infection spreads into the adjacent bone, and then... Eventually, it'll break through the bone, and then you'll have a soft tissue swelling, uh, and it hurts. Signs of abscess uh, formation, uh, unremitting pain. The tooth may feel extruded or loose. The swelling at the end of the tooth will actually push the ligaments up, so when they bite down, they feel like that's the only tooth in their mouth that's hitting. If you tap the tooth, if you just touch the tooth, they'll jump through the roof. Uh, swelling of the gums and face, that's a little more advanced. Uh, uh, the, the differential diagnosis, uh, there are some things that mimic periapical abscesses. One is a periodontal abscess, uh, and periodontal disease is a whole different subject, but it's caused by plaque the same as uh, uh, caries. So it'll eventually lead to bone loss, and uh, it's actually probably as common a cause of uh, tooth loss as, as dental caries is in most populations. Uh, and this is just a slide to demonstrate. You get uh, bacteria in the gingival tissue along the tooth, the biofilms on the tooth. The body tries to fight that bacterial infection, sends inflammatory mediators, which cause bone loss and inflammation of the adjacent tissues. Once this hits a critical point, usually if you can measure three or four millimeters, there's really no good way to clean down there. Uh, then you continue to have bone loss and so forth. And then this is a close-up of the bacteria in the gums there. Uh, the way you prevent periodontal disease is, is flossing and brushing. If you remove the biofilm, there's nothing to, to cause uh, the inflammation of the gums. Treatment is to clean the teeth periodically or regularly. Uh, this is what a periodontal abscess would look like. This one is probably caused by somebody getting a popcorn hole or something stuck up under the gums, but it'll usually be localized. You push on this and pus will come out between the tooth and the gums, and that's actually curative. You want to establish drainage. If you can do it that way or if you can IND it, those would be two ways. Uh, you want to go up in there with a tooth scaler and clean that out. And then antibiotics, uh, 
again, in limited resource situations, it's a good idea. Here, you would you'd refer them to the periodontist or treat it yourself. Uh, the other sure cure is to take the tooth out because then you remove the source of infection. Another mimic of a periapical infection or facial infection is pericornitis. And oral surgeons love pericornitis because this is what brings people in to get their wisdom teeth out. Uh, basically, when you have an impacted tooth that's partially exposed, the gums get infected, uh, swells. If there's a tooth above, they bite down and it uh, traumatizes that tissue. And uh, so it, it, it can mimic a, a, an abscess tooth uh, because of the severity of the infection and also you can get swelling. The treatment of pericornitis, uh, topical antibiotics, uh, I usually just give them chlorhexidine rinse, Paradex, uh, have them use that twice a day. Uh, use a soft toothbrush, really kind of clean the area. If it's real excruciatingly painful, then I'll give them antibiotics. But uh, if you take a toothbrush and keep the area clean, it'll go away pretty quickly. And then just hot soaks, hot salt water back there. And then if, if it's severe or it's spreading, then you want to get them on antibiotics because it can progress, especially in that area. It tends to progress down the neck and it becomes uh, much more uh, ominous. And then tooth extraction, if appropriate. If it's not appropriate, you can nurse them along. It's just like teething pain. Uh, you'll, you'll see kids that come in because the gums are sore, uh, and just tell them to brush it, give them non-steroidals, and tell them it's, it's going to be that way until the tooth emerges. All right, let's go on to the treatment of abscess teeth. Uh, in our environment, the definitive treatment, if you want to save the tooth, is a root canal. If you don't want to save the tooth, you take it out. Uh, either treatment will decompress the nerves and allow for pain relief. You're removing the... Uh, the source of the infection. Uh, root canal treatment is basically you make a access in the top of the tooth, use files to clean all the necrotic material out of the tooth, uh, you sterilize the tooth, and then you place the filling material that seals the tooth. Uh, you can't really get the bacteria out of the bone, so that's the primary reason that root canals fail. So uh, if it's you know a long-standing chronic infection, the root canal is probably not going to be a solution. Can't hear back there. Move this up a bit. Okay. If you're not going to do root canal fillings, then uh, you, know, you need to get the teeth out. And uh, nice thing about dental extractions, and nice thing for doing uh, mission work, is you can take all the materials you want in one suitcase. Basically, this is my setup. Uh, you know, I, I have an assortment of elevators uh, uh, and forceps, uh, local anesthetic cotton, tongue blades for my examination, uh, local anesthetic syringes, and uh, sutures and scalpel blades for more advanced treatment, uh, which you don't do that often. You can sterilize these instruments. This is my son. That's the nice thing about mission trips. I have six kids. It's always good to get them out of the country so that they can see how you know, 89% of the world lives rather than what, what we live with here. Uh, you can use cold sterilizing. If you're going to do more uh, heat sterilizing is better, and there's a real good chapter in the, the book uh, on how to heat sterilize. But for a little two-week mission, uh, metricide lasts for two weeks, so it, it works really well. Uh, I designed my own dental chair. This is adjust, fully adjustable. <laughs> went with a couple of carpenters, and they... I said, I, I had, I, the first trip I did, I took a lawn chair, thinking, oh, this is nice, it's portable. Uh, and by the end of two weeks, I could hardly stand up because my back was, was so bad. Uh, this, I can angle it. And 
the secret is I, I work standing up. Most uh, general dentists work sitting down, but I get a lot better uh, leverage and a lot better uh, access if I'm standing, and these chairs are ideal. Um, and the thing I always try to do on short-term trips is to, to train somebody. This is Sarah. She is a nurse that uh, we trained for three years running, and uh, she's basically very competent now, uh, you know, even having six weeks training with us and some materials. Uh, if somebody needs a tooth out, they go to her house, and she takes care of them. So Steve will remember her. Uh, and then there are portable dental systems. This is the iDent system. Steve Sain has uh, a very interesting video at uh, his website on uh, Minkai, the uh, Alka gentleman who speared his father. And uh, he taught him how, or he, he trained him how to do simple dentistry. And so he was saying, you know, the same hands that killed my father are now healing people. So it's kind of, uh, and Steve is actually at the conference speaking later on. Anyway, treatment of abscesses, uh, once the tooth has infected the bone, uh, you need to have a definitive treatment. So you need to have, know your microbiology, you need to know your anatomy, and know your antibiotics. Uh, fortunately, Microbial infections are, you know, the teeth are colonized by streptococci, so you know that's what the main component of, of dental caries is going to be. But usually they're mixed. Uh, is that coming off again? Anyway, uh, mixed anaerobic, anaerobic flora. 60% are bacteroides and streptococci. Uh, you know, you're probably not going to do gram stains and culture insensitivity, but a little secret is we usually don't either unless it's an advanced infection because. By the time you get your culture and sensitivity back, uh, the antibiotics or your definitive treatment, your incision and drainage have already worked. Uh, indications for use of antibiotics, uh, especially if it's an acute onset of swelling. If a patient walks in and they've been swollen for a couple weeks and it's not really changing, that's a lot less concerning than somebody that woke up and their face is the size of grapefruit. Uh, if it's diffuse swelling, firm cellulitis, uh, definitely want to get antibiotics going as soon as possible. If you have patients with uh, compromised host defenses, uh, diabetes, uh, HIV, whatever, or if they have involvement of the deep fascial spaces, those are the ones that scare even people who have had advanced training. Or if there are signs of systemic involvement, if they have a high fever, they look sick, uh, you know, these are people you probably want to hospitalize, get them on IV antibiotics and fluids. Uh, oral antibiotics, uh, pretty simple, penicillin or amoxicillin. 80% uh, greater than 80% will respond to penicillin alone, even though it's a mixed infection. If you knock out uh, most of the bugs with the penicillin, it's going to go away. Clindamycin is a, an excellent alternative. Uh, it has a little broader spectrum. Uh, it's well tolerated, and it, for the bacteria that we're going to see, it, it it takes care of most of those. For, so if you don't get a good response to penicillin after two or three days, you may want to switch them to clindamycin, or a, Erythromycin, not quite as good. It's not well tolerated. Uh, there's a lot of resistant organisms now to it. So I, I haven't written a prescription for erythromycin in years. Uh, but I will add metronidazole if either the cleosin or the penicillin, or if I have a serious infection or a serious cellulitis that looks like it's spreading. And the nice thing about penicillin and metronidazole, you know, it's four times a day dosing both of them. So I try and avoid the amoxicillin since it's three times a day. But or I'll have them take the amoxicillin four times a day just because it's going to give them a good blood level either way. Uh, the main concern with odontogenic infections, they do spread. Uh, they can cause a chronic infection of the bone, uh, osteomyelitis, where you actually, it forms a, bi a biofilm in the bone, and it's, it's very hard to eradicate. 
you can get a bacteremia, septicemia, deep space infection, uh, cerebral infection, which is fortunately very rare. Uh, or you get a fistula, which is just a chronic drain uh, gum boil, if you will, cellulitis, or intraoral soft tissue abscess. Um, this is just some of the, all of the fascial planes of the head and neck are connected, so uh, any tooth in the arch can actually spread infection uh, either to the mediastinum, up into the temporalis area, intracranially, following the venous system. And so uh, the key is to knock it out before it starts to spread. Uh, so the spread of the infection is dependent on how virulent the organisms are, uh, what the host resistance is, if there's immunocompromise, and then where the muscle attachments are. Fascial spaces, we won't go into any detail here because I'm going to try and leave a little time at the end for questions, but uh, there are potential spaces. They're not true voids. Uh, it's just where the muscles rub together. They're, uh, they're bound by fascial layers that invest the muscles of the body, and they delineate different regions of the body. Uh, infection dissects along these fascial layers as it spreads. And uh, this was, you know, the things that we had to memorize for our board exams. But uh, the, the thing to see here is that these fascial layers spread down to the uh, mediastinum. And they go uh, posteriorly all the way around the back of the spine. Uh, and once they get into these areas, they're very hard to treat. And they're very hard to characterize. Uh, you need CT scans or MRIs to even know where you're at. Uh, so I'm going to just throw up a few of the spaces that you're most likely to see and how you would treat those. The vestibular abscess, those are the easy ones. Those are the ones that you want to incise and drain, and just about anybody can do this. The anatomy of the mouth is such that you're really not going to hit many vital structures. The mental nerve comes out uh, below the bicuspids. That's really about the only thing to avoid. Or if you get down in here, you've got to watch out for the facial artery. But other than that, you're really not going to do much damage if you go down with a, a blade. The submandibular space is underneath the jaw, sublingual, submental, buccal, and then these other ones are more uh, as things spread. But uh, where they spread is, is always the concern. Uh, you have a molar tooth that can spread buccally, it can spread underneath the tongue, or it can spread into the submandibular region, and that's determined by where the muscle attaches and where it breaks through the bone. If it breaks through up here, it goes under the tongue. If it breaks through down here, it goes underneath the, the muscle and into the submandibular space. If it breaks throughout here, it goes into the buccal space. Uh, we always worry more about uh, lower infections than upper infections. Uh, generally, they're easier to treat the upper infections, and they're usually less virulent. But they can spread into the sinus, uh, and sinus disease can mimic tooth pain, too. I should put that uh, when you're testing teeth. If you tap on a tooth and it hurts, and the patient doesn't look like they have any decay, have them lean over, and if they have pressure in the sinus, it's probably a sinus infection rather than a toothache. Uh, anyway, the muscle attachments are important as to where this, it's going to spread. But the key here is incision and drainage. Before we had antibiotics, this is how all abscesses were treated, and it was effective, you know, probably 70% of the time. Uh, it relieves tissue pressure. It decreases the spread of uh, infection to adjacent spaces. It introduces oxygen into the environment. And uh, even a cellulitis, you know, used to be we'd say, oh, you have a cellulitis, you want to wait until it abscesses. But uh, studies have shown that even doing an IND of an uh, a cellulitis will prevent it from spreading, and it will provide a, a way for that uh, tissue to become oxygenated uh, and stimulate the immune system. Let's look at a little vestibular infection. This is a carious tooth. This is a chronic periapical lesion. To see bone loss on a tooth, it's had to have been dead for a long time. 
And these are just like little granulomas. They have bacteria in them, uh, and then all of a sudden one day they'll just flare up, and so you get swelling out in the, the gum tissue. Uh, if you take a blade, uh, puncture that, you'll get laudable pus, as they used to say back in the old days. Uh, and then you want to spread that uh, if you have a hemostat or some way to open that up to get as much of the uh, purulence out and then place a drain. Usually we use a Penrose drain or you can use uh, anything that will hold that open, even a piece of gauze. Gauze isn't as good because it clots, but uh, anything that will hold that space so that if there's more drainage, it has a place to go. This slide shows the IND going straight into the abscess. It's actually better to, to go down to bone because that's where the abscess came through. So you want to uh, always head towards bone. You're not going to, if you go out in here, you may hit some of the more vital structures like nerves and arteries and veins, which you want to avoid as well. And then definitive treatment, once the incision and drainage and the antibiotics have taken their effect, you can take the tooth out. And then this is just that little granuloma that you saw. Buckle space infection can be either from upper or lower teeth. If you're going to drain these, uh, these can usually be drained interorally unless they're, they're massive in size. You make an incision, go through the tissue where you feel the fluctuance, and then place your drain. Uh, this is just what one looks like clinically. Uh, submandibular space, if it breaks through below the, the jaw, uh, looks like this. These some, most of the time have to be uh, drained extraorally because you want to have dependent drainage. And a lot of times we'll go through and through. We'll incise inside the, the jaw, we'll tr travel along the periosteum, and then we'll, we'll exit below the jaw and then place our drain. So this is just what a drain looks like in place, and you can see the, the pus coming out. Ludwig's angina is, is the, you know, the, the grand whammy of facial infections. It's the one that kills people. And uh, when I talk to emergency room physicians, if we have a patient that's acutely sick, I just tell them it's a Ludwig's angina, and they'll get, get us in right away if we need to go to the OR to do an IND. Whereas if we say we have a facial infection, we may get bumped by somebody that's having a C-section or something else. But they hear Ludwig's angina, they know that you know, this is a serious infection. So we call any serious infection a Ludwig's angina. Just a little tip if you're working with a hospital uh, anesthesia staff. Um, anyway, it's a fulminant infection and it involves both the submandibular, sublingual, and submental spaces on both sides. And the reason it's a bad actor is because it encroaches on the airway. Prior to 1940, it was uh, in the neighborhood of about 50% mortality. Uh, and in the 40s, they figured out that they could intubate patients and uh, do incision and drainages. Uh, aggressive therapy through and through drains in each of those spaces, uh, getting all the pus out. Uh, and uh, actually, it's, it's very treatable now. But the key is to get treatment initiated. Uh, those spread to the mediastinum as well. So if they don't uh, get airway compromised, they could end up with a, a, a chest abscess as well. Uh, what to look for is, as far as severe infection, these are things that you, know, you want to probably get to a, a secondary or tertiary care facility as quickly as possible. If they have elevated temperature, 102 degrees is what I, I would usually use. Severe trismus where they can't open their mouth at all. Um, difficulty breathing or swallowing. Elevated white blood cell count, you know, 30,000, 40,000, uh, and that's it. On, and I think trauma will just kind of go through real, real quick. Cause we, what time are we supposed to be done? Oh, okay. Well, we'll skip trauma. Tooth loss, stick the tooth back in. If it's been more than an hour, throw the tooth away. 
avulsed teeth, uh, handle it on the top, make sure you stick it in uh, the right way. I had uh, emergency room doc send a patient over and the tooth was backwards. I thought that was cool. But uh, you compress the socket around the tooth. And then jaw fractures, you're probably not going to treat. The only take home on jaw fractures is uh, trying to mobilize them. So in a limited situation, uh, this is called a Barton bandage. Have them put their teeth together where they best fit and then wrap their head tightly. And they can still get fluids and so forth in between the teeth. The treatment for uh, fractures is basically immobilization for four to six weeks. Uh, wires work very well. You can do these in, uh, with, with just local anesthetic and you're you know, on your kitchen table if you need to. But, and then what we do is, is bone plating. And then uh, I hope this is none of you a few years from now getting ready for retirement. Uh, consider joining the Peace Corps, becoming a missionary, but then I thought, nah. So if you need encouragement, uh, uh, I, I used to attend John Piper's church up in the cities, and they have an annual conference. And this year's conference was especially good on missions, and I'd encourage you to go down there. That You can download uh, a bunch of uh, really good talks, uh, a lot of good information, uh, either for your iPod or you can watch it on video as well. But just go to desiringgod.com, finish the mission. And I thank you for your attention. Uh, and and patients always leave my office with a smile. So.